Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again. It's great to join back together, at least in some small capacity with one another, to see each other's smiling faces and to just share stories and share our experience together as we continue in these backyard gatherings for May. And today we're going to continue through Galatians. Last week we talked about grace and peace, and we talked about how grace brings peace and how they really are a dynamic duo that work together. Today we're going to continue in Galatians. But before we do that, I want to talk to you. I want to ask you a question. Maybe you've had something like this. You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden your car makes this crazy noise. That happened to me one time. I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden I get this noise that just, and something's not right. I'm like, okay, what does this mean? You know, I had no idea what it meant. I'm not a mechanic, and so I take it to my mechanic. Now, nowadays they have computers, and they attach the computer to the car, and the computer tells them what's wrong. But sometimes, sometimes, and especially several years ago, they didn't have computers. And so what's the mechanic do? Well, the mechanic says, well, what's it sound like? <laughs> and what are you stuck with? You're like, um, and now all of a sudden, in front of the lobby of these people and the mechanic, and there's probably other mechanics listening, ready to snicker, you have to play this game of noise charades with your mechanic. Well, it sounds like, or something, right? Like, you're like, okay, I have no idea what this noise is in my car. And you make that noise, and the mechanic is looking at you, and he goes, okay. And if you ever, like, a mechanic that's really mean, they'll ask you, like, well, what was that again? And you've got to do it all over again. And the mechanic starts going through these series of questions. Well, in my case, the whirling and everything that was going on was a simple issue of replacing a belt. Replacing a belt and getting that fixed. But I didn't know that. I'm not mechanically inclined. I didn't know what that noise was. I just knew something was wrong. Something was off. Something wasn't making sense. But it was the belt. And so that was an important thing to get fixed. Well, Paul in Galatians, this is his first letter to the, to the Galatians. It's actually one of his first letters he's ever written. And in all the other letters, he starts out complimenting them, and then he gives them what's wrong. In Galatians, he doesn't do that. In Galatians, he goes right to it, and he says, here's what's wrong. And then he goes into explaining it and why it's wrong. And so today, we're going to jump into those verses about what's wrong with the church at Galatia. He starts explaining to them what's wrong. I, I love it when my mechanic comes out and he goes, yeah, listen, it was the belt, it was the serpentine belt, and then it was the knuckle and the whatever, I don't even know what words to use, right? Because, I don't know, but your mechanic goes into it. Paul goes into it and says, here's what's wrong, here's what's dysfunctional about your church. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, it says this. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, 
and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so Paul now deals with the issue. The issue is he had, he had just started this church in Galatia. He had got it up and running. And these people come in and they begin adding to the gospel just a little bit, just a little tweak here and a little twist there. And just compromising just a little bit, right? And so what happens? Well, what happens when that when that starts is that the gospel, the Bible, the message of Jesus Christ begins to get diluted with all sorts of other things. One of the things that was happening is that people were coming into the church and they're saying, we know that you have salvation by the grace of God and your faith, but you must also do these works. And so they were adding works to the gospel. Why? Because Galatia had a huge population of Jews that, that were anti-Christian at the time, and they were influencing and bringing Judaism into the newfound Christianity. And they're saying, well, yeah, you can do that, and that's fine, but you also need to do all these other things. They were taking their understanding of, of the gospel. They were taking their understanding of their culture and their day, and they were laying it on top of the Bible. They were laying it on top of, they were trying to impose their lifestyle on the scripture and say, well, we do this, and look, it's right here, so it must be, it must be okay for everybody. But here's what we need to understand as Christians. We have to let the scripture stand alone on its own merit. Listen, I can pull a lot of self-help stuff off the shelf, and it might have a lot of Bible kind of stuff in it, but if it's not scripture, if it's not pure, then you're drinking unfiltered, muddy water, right? And a lot of people want to take the scripture, and they want the scripture to make them feel good about the way they're living. They want the Bible to help them feel good about their own thought life and their own relationships and support their ideas. This is exactly what's happening in the church of Galatia. And Paul goes, listen, I, I'm shocked that you are so quickly, I just left you, and yet you're so quickly leaving the gospel behind because you're allowing it to be diluted with all of these other things. Here's what I can tell you. We cannot use scripture how we want and expect the Holy Spirit to stand behind it. Let me give you an example. I hear this a lot as a pastor, and I hear this from well-intentioned, good-meaning people. And I don't always stop them at the time because usually it's at a funeral or it's at some, or another, like a happy event or or. Typically, okay, typically it's probably at a sad event. But people say this. They say, God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you have heard that, right? So if you're at a backyard gathering, just look at each other and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Like, you, God will never give you more than you can bear. God will never give you more than you can take on. God will never give you more than you can handle. I have news for you. That's not true. 
That's not even in the Bible. The Bible doesn't even say that. And yet we think it's in the Bible because why? Well, because grandma said it or my mom said it or my uncle said it or whoever said it that I have respect for. And not that you shouldn't have respect for them, but it's not true. Where does that come from? Well, it actually comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So to say that God will not give you more than you can bear is simply a twisting of scripture to make people feel good. What did Paul tell the Corinthians? He said, God, he, God, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Not going through a circumstance. And we know the Apostle Paul went through far more than he could handle. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-9, through 9, Paul said that he went through so much that he expected to die he said it was far his exact words were it was far beyond our ability to endure or to get through this is why the bible says that in our weakness christ is made strong the reason that we face things that are more than we can bear is so that we can learn to lean upon christ learn to trust him learn to grow that relationship with him and so when we take our culture and our ideas and lay them over the top of scripture we begin to twist things. We begin to use verbiage and words that simply aren't in the Bible. Misunderstanding Scripture enables a drifting from God. Let me say that again. Misunderstanding Scripture enables a drifting from God. You say, well, well what happens? Well, I thought the Bible said this. I thought the Bible said God won't give me more than I can bear Yet I'm going through stuff that I just can't, I can't bear it. I can't handle it. I can't take it anymore. So the Bible must be wrong. No, our interpretation and our understanding of Scripture is wrong. And so if we're going to do a spiritual checkup today, if we're in the spiritual garage today, then we have to ask the first question of our, as a spiritual mechanic. And the first question is this. Do I understand the Bible well enough to know what is true and what is not? Do I understand the Bible well enough to know what's true and what's not? You see, when I go to the mechanic and I go, hey, my car's going, right? <laughs> when my car does that, my mechanic goes, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the timing valve. And I'm like, oh, sure, okay, right? He starts asking questions. And so if we're going to keep ourselves spiritually in line, We've got to ask ourselves questions. And so that's the first question that we have to ask ourselves. Now, Paul says something else to the church of Galatia. In verse 6, he says, you're deserting. This does not mean that I am eating pie right now, and so I'm deserting, right? Or I'm eating birthday cake, and I'm deserting. No, it means like I'm deserting. I'm leaving. I'm going away. In fact, this is a military term, and it's used for, in our day, we would call it going AWOL. Paul goes, you've gone AWOL from Scripture. You've, you've got an absence without leave. You've just packed up your bags and left everything that the Scripture is saying, and you think you've got it right, and you think you're doing it well, but you're not. You've gone AWOL in Scripture. And so 
He says, you've enlisted in this thing called Christianity, and now you're walking away from it. But why? Well, Paul says in Galatians 5.10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Do you remember, if you're used to being in church, you might remember the story of Adam and Eve, where Eve goes to the tree that she's not supposed to be at, and the Bible says that the enemy comes in, and the way that he sneaks into Eve's mind is not like, hey, I'm the devil, fear me. It's very much a, are you sure that was what was said? Are you sure that's really what that means? It could mean this, 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 or this. Maybe, maybe there's a misunderstanding. It's how the enemy works. The enemy comes into our minds and he places a question. He places a question of doubt. He places a question of fear. He uh, places a question of what if, maybe, I don't know. All sorts of different things that he places questions in our minds. And so Paul writes to the church at Galatia in Galatians 5.10. He says, listen, I'm confident that whoever's throwing you into confusion, whoever's bringing this confusion, God will judge them. But to understand that the enemy always starts with confusion. And I love what he says in verse 8 here in Galatians chapter 1. Because he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul's making a very, very important point. He's saying, I don't care... If it's, I don't care if it's myself or one of the other disciples. I don't care if it's an angel. I don't care if it's any other human being. What's he saying? He's listing messengers and methods of ways that the scriptures and the gospel can be delivered. And he's saying, it's not the messenger. It's the message. So often we get enamored with certain pastors, with certain styles, with certain things that we like and we don't like from, from listening to a minister speak. We, we get consumed by the style and we get obsessed with the individual instead of the message. And so we assume that just because it's coming from the guy on stage, we assume it's right. And one of the things that I tell people all the time at church is I'm like, Take what I give you on Sunday morning, go study it during the week, and if I'm wrong or you got questions, come ask me, come talk to me. Let's have a dialogue, let's have a discussion about it, right? Because it's about working together, it's about discussing things together. It's, it's not about, oh, the guy's on stage and so he must be right. It's about us growing together, journeying together. The unfortunate thing is that we get enamored with things. He has a great smile. He has a great delivery. He has whatever, so it must be true. It makes me feel good, so it must be true. But yet we know that's exactly how the enemy works. So here's what I want to tell you. Don't allow style or preferences to distract you from accuracy. Listen, oftentimes God speaks to us through people that we don't esteem. We don't believe it the first time we hear it coming from them. Have you, have you ever noticed that 
people will say things to you, different people will say the same thing to you, but suddenly you don't catch on until that one person says it. Just to pull the curtain back on my marriage a little bit, my wife says I do this all the time. She's like, so I'm stepping on my own toes right now, but she says, well, Josh just said that to you, but I've been saying the same thing for a month. Why haven't you, why didn't you listen to me? Is it possible that I was more enamored with the messenger than I was the message? Here's why, for the most part, we won't listen to the message the first time. We didn't believe it because we put more emphasis on the messenger than the message. Well, it's just coming from them. It doesn't matter. You see, a mature person can take what's being said to them, regardless of the tone, regardless of the body language, regardless of the environment, what's going on in the environment. They can take what's being said to them and they can filter out the emotions. They can filter out the environment. They can filter out who's saying it. And they can then take that and self-examine and go, well, maybe there's a little bit of truth to that, or maybe there's no truth to that. Maybe I need to adjust, maybe I don't need to adjust. They know how to filter out the emotions of things. They know how to filter out the environment. They know how to fil filter out the nonverbal language and really assess. And so they understand how to separate the message from the messenger. And so this is what Paul tells him, because I don't care if it's myself or one of the other disciples that walked with Jesus. I don't care if it's an angel or anyone else. If they bring you a gospel that is watered down, if they bring you a gospel that's more self-help than it is scripture, if they bring you a gospel other than this, then God's curse is on them. Right? And that's, that's a pretty serious weight. And so the second thing, if we're going to do this mechanical, spiritual tune-up in our life, the second question we would be wise to ask ourselves is this. Am I so enamored with the messenger that I can't recognize the message? That's question number two. Now, let's move on to the third question. But before we go to the third question, let's understand it a little bit because paul says now that you understand i'm shocked that you're leaving the gospel i'm shocked that you're allowing it to be watered down i i can't believe that you're being enamored with all of these other people and you're not really paying attention to what's being said and then he says listen who am i trying to impress he, he points back to himself it's a great point of spiritual uh, spiritual leadership and a great point of leadership the leader always looks internally first before he starts pointing the finger at others. And so Paul looks at himself and he goes, hey, who am I trying to impress? Am I more concerned with impressing people? Am I more concerned with impressing the crowd? Or am I more concerned about impressing God and what God would have me to do and making the decisions that God would have me to make? And if you look at Paul's life, you see it in action. Before his road to Damascus experience, Paul was called Saul, and he was today, what we would call today, he was a terrorist. He hunted Christians, he beheaded them, he stoned them, he had them thrown in prison, he killed Christians. He was a Christian killer for hire. And yet when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, he did an, immediately, he did an immediate 180, and Saul became Paul. Paul. 
And he said, I'm no longer trying to impress the government by killing Christians. I'm no longer trying to impress the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the temple by how many Christians I can throw in jail, jail and kill. I'm no longer trying to impress the Roman Empire and the Roman government with how many Christians I can imprison and enslave and stone. Instead, I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I don't really care what they want. I have to do what God's calling me to do. He says, listen, if I wanted to be popular, I would keep trying to please people. But I'd rather please God. And here's what you and I, the lesson that we gather from this. The needing people's approval will steal your destiny. Needing people's approval will steal your destiny. Because if I'm more concerned about pleasing everybody, then I can never go and do what God has called me to do. I can never march towards my destiny and fulfill the call of God in my life. Because God will call you to do things that isn't popular with people. But if you're constantly trying to please people, you will be robbed of your destiny. And so this brings us to the third question for our spiritual mechanical tune-up. To ask ourselves... Do I seek approval from my friends or God? So today in closing, as as we wrap this up, if you're watching this and you follow Christ and you believe in Jesus, here are the three questions that we need to ask ourselves. If, If our spiritual belt is getting off track, if our spiritual life isn't where it needs to be, we can ask ourselves, Do I understand scripture well enough to clearly hear God? Number two, am I so enamored with the messenger that I can't recognize the message? And number three, do I seek the approval of my friends or of God? That's the question that we all have to ask ourselves if you're following Christ. Now, if you're not following Christ and you don't believe in Jesus, then I want to ask you, this question. Why not? What do you have to lose by taking a chance and placing your faith and belief in Christ? And I want to make that invitation to you today. Do you want to choose to follow Jesus? Do you want to get yourself spiritually aligned with the spiritual mechanic that will restore your life that will repair this vehicle that we live in called the body and repair the mind and repair the spirit, repair the soul? Do you want that for yourself? Or do we want to keep clunking down the road of life, feeling stuck, feeling like I should be getting more out of this car, this thing that I, that I call my life, but I can't. God wants you to get more out of that. He wants to repair the vehicle of life. If that's you, I want you to pray with me as we close. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just ask for every person that's watching today, if they don't know you, if if they're driving down life's road and they feel like things are clanking and things aren't going right and things aren't working the way they should, Lord, may they pull themselves into your garage. May they pull themselves up on your lift so that you can change out their oil and give them fresh oil, give them a fresh healing, Lord, maybe in their minds or in their souls. May they turn themselves over to you 
And the Bible says, God, that if we repent and ask you to forgive us, and then we choose to begin to follow you and believe in you, not only do we have life everlasting when we die, we have life everlasting right now. We, we become eternal right now, even in this life. So, Lord, I ask, ask that you be with every person this week. Be with those that might be praying to ask you to forgive them. And, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for that. We thank you for these backyard gatherings and where you're leading us as a church. We're excited to see where you're taking us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that prayer and you asked Jesus into your life and asked him to forgive you, would you reach out to me at Tyson at theriverlapel.com or reach out to me on Facebook? I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you about your acceptance of Christ. Thank you. You guys have an amazing week, and we'll see you next week.